Too many people want to come in and they just want the quick hacks. They want, hey, what's the 21 ways to be more productive? Come on. Like, that's a bunch of bullshit. If you're really worried about those 21 ways to improve your life, then you're not living the right life. Focus on a few big things that tie into the big mission being your purpose, your why. Welcome in to another episode of the Professional Profiles podcast that uncovers the time-tested wisdom for the next generation. Join me, a forward-thinking teen, as I engage in insightful conversations with industry titans, revealing the invaluable ingredients that pave the way to achieving remarkable success. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by the Clint Murphy. Clint is a CFO at Mosaic and has over 20 years of experience in finance. But that's just his day job. Clint also has 400,000 followers on social media. That's right, 400,000 spanning his Twitter, his podcast, and his newsletter called The Growth Guide. He is also an executive coach to some of the top names in the world. He's an amazing father for his two boys. He's a triathlete, ultramarathon runner, Ironman, and part of the 1,000-pound club. He has also helped hundreds of thousands of people level up their lives to become the best versions of themselves. This is part one of my interview with Clint, all focused around growth and personal development. We also dove headfirst in the realm of social media, which will be covered in part two. So without further ado, here's the one and only Clint Murphy. So thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a conversation with you. I love what you're doing. So as we begin our conversation, I'd love to dive into a specific sentence that you say on your website, which is, to understand what you need to reach your goals, you need to dive deep into your values, purpose, roadblocks, and mindset. Could you dive into that philosophy a little bit? Yeah, so the way I like to describe it, Charlie, is if you think about what we are as humans, we're computers in a skin suit. And that, that may sound odd at first, but we, we have three things. We have hardware, software, and operating systems is the way I like to break it down. The hardware is largely subconscious. And Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, you will forever be led by it and call it fate. Now, that means that hardware is largely wired in our childhood. So by the time we reach a certain age, we're largely hardwired for our mindsets, our behaviors, the way we respond to certain interactions with people. And so when we go bottom up, I want to work with people to change that hardwiring. The first way you change that hardwiring is you become aware of it. You become aware of it generally through therapy, psychoanalysis, shadow work. So you become aware of what, are, what is my conditioning? What am I conditioned to believe? How am I conditioned to behave in certain situations? Why do I always pick this type of girlfriend? Why do I always pick that type of boyfriend? Why do I always enter in, into damaging relationships in this way? And so you start to learn the hardwiring. The first thing you have to do is you have to become aware of it. When you become aware of behaviors, you can understand whether you want those behaviors or you don't. Then through conscious exercises, you change the behavior first consciously. So every time you go to react, you, wait, wait, I know, I know I'm going to have this reaction. That's not what I want. So I'm going to consciously change it. And you want to move from when we started this exercise, you had an unconscious, undesired behavior. Then we became conscious of an undesired behavior. 
then we moved into making a conscious choice of a desired behavior. We want to get all the way to unconscious desired behavior. So you want to change your hardwiring so you make the right choices unconsciously. So you went all the way from unconscious undesirable to conscious desirable. That's always the goal is to work your way through that. And so once you do that, that's the hardwiring. Software is your conscious thought. So we have, depending on what you read, anywhere from 35,000 to 90,000 thoughts a day. A lot of the reading that you'll do will say most of those thoughts are negative recurring thoughts on replay. So it's a negative thought loop that goes through your head all day, every day. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I can't do it. The resistance, as Stephen Pressfield calls it. We want you to become aware of those conscious thoughts. We want you to hear them. We want you to see them. And whether you take the Buddhist approach of become aware of them, but let them float through your consciousness and don't attach to them, or you take the Stoic approach of, I will question them, I will audit them, and I will only let the true ones remain in my head. I prefer to like a combination of the two, and I prefer to only give assent or permission to the thoughts that are true and to audit out the negative ones. The Buddhist one to me is a little too passive, and I don't want to let negative thoughts just keep looping through because eventually I am going to latch onto them. So I want to kick their ass out of my head. That's, that's the software. We've worked on our hardware. We work on our software so that our brain doesn't control us. We control our brain. Our thoughts don't have us running on repetitive negative loops. We choose how and when to use our thinking to achieve what we want to achieve in life. That's the software. Then we get to the OS, operating systems, your habits, your behaviors, your your daily routines, and we optimize them. Too many people want to come in and they just want the quick hacks. They want, hey, what's the what's the 21 ways to be more productive? So I got to wake up. I got to get outside. I got to get sun in the first 15 minutes. I can't look at social media. Then I got to drink my, my water with my athletic greens in it. And then I got to jump in a sauna. While I'm in there, I'm supposed to meditate and get red lights. And then I got to get out of that and jump straight into my ice bath. And I got to record that and share it on my Instagram. Like, come on. Like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Like, if you're, if you're really worried about those 21 ways to improve your life, then you're not living the right life. Focus on a few big things that tie into the big mission being your purpose, your why. So when people ask me how I do all the things I'm doing, Charlie, it's easy. I have deadlines. I write every day on social media. I publish a newsletter at the same time every week. I publish my podcast at the same time every week. I have my day job. My kids have their sporting activities. Everything is in a calendar. It's got to happen. It's not hacks. It's just these are the things I do on a daily basis because these are the important things I want to achieve in my life. So when you work with a client, you work on the hardware, you work on the software, then you work on the OS. And you only work on the OS when you say, hey, what are the big things that matter to you? What's your why? What's your, what's your purpose? What are your values? What's your mission in life? And when we know that, then we can build a way to get there. Yeah. So you talked earlier about how you read the book before you have your podcast, and you also talked about continuous learning. 
about how to build your your Twitter and your social media. What role does this continuous learning and reading play in our lives and how important is it to leverage? To me, it's everything. I had a conversation with a guest and they reiterated how I've always thought about it, which is if you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. When you look at anything in nature, there's two states, there's growth and there's death. And so if you're not growing, you're slowly dying. And that's how I look at learning. There's people that are proud that they graduated high school and they've never read a book again in their life. Great. I'm happy that you're proud of that. That's never going to be me. And I, I think it's very hard to achieve high levels of success if that's your mindset. There's people like Warren Buffett who are in their 90s and they read for six hours a day. And they're one of the, one of the richest people in the world. That's not saying you're going to be one of the richest people in the world by reading six hours a day. It is saying that reading six hours a day and then applying that into your life should help you be successful. And so if you're reading the right things, and here's the important thing, because reading alone is what I refer to as mental masturbation. Like if all you're doing is reading, it's useless. You have to read and then you have to apply. And so if I read a book like Built to Move by Kelly and Juliet Starrett, and I don't apply it to my life, it's useless. But if I read that book, and almost every day since I read it three months ago, I walk 15,000 steps, I'm going to change my life. I'm way fitter than I was three months ago. I'm losing weight. I'm leaning out. I've got those, the, the, the amount of steps I'm taking means I'm doing a lot of walks by myself and with my dog. So she's healthier. She's happier. We're building a better relationship, me and her. And, and it's a lot of time alone, Charlie. So my creativity is skyrocketing because I'm going out for, for that walk for two hours and I'm listening to podcasts. So I'm learning. And every once in a while, I just shut the podcast off and I just walk silently and I think and I noodle ideas and I come up with what I'm going to write in the, in the newsletter that week. I come up with threads. I write them in my head and then I get home and I put them into the computer. And so the act of the reading is step one in a process. You're learning. Then you grow your neural network. You grow it in here. And I wish I'd found this earlier, Charlie. If I'm you, I'm building out a tool like Notion or like Obsidian. I've landed on Obsidian. You, you land on tools that resonate with your personality type. And Obsidian is totally my personality type. And so I'm going to go inside and read a book after this uh, called You Can't Get This Wrong. It's about health and diet by um, Adam Bornstein. And while I read it, I'll have my laptop in front of me and I have a book template from a course I took on Obsidian. And as I read it, I'm typing my questions in that and I'm summarizing the book, summarizing my key takeaways, taking notes and linking them to other things. And so what this does is now when I want to go research in five years when I'm writing a book, I'll be able to like look up certain tags and see all the notes I've taken from these. I mean, if it's in five years, I'll have read 250 books and I'll have all my notes from those 250 books in this software that I'll just be able to access on my phone or on my laptop. So if someone asks me a question, I'll be like, oh, I know I've read five books on that. Let me, let me just pull up some notes. So it's your second brain. So I'd love to just talk about your Ironman. Yep. So 
What role does fitness play in your life now? And why did you actually choose to do that Ironman? Was it for discipline? Or I'd love to hear about that. It's, it's all of that. So for a lot of young people and a lot of people in general, I refer often to something I call your get shit done muscle. And your get shit done muscle tells you what you can do in life. For me, I now know with reasonable certainty that I can do almost anything in life. Now, we'll take a step back. Am I going to be a NASA astronaut? Probably not because I'm 45 and I, I'm not likely going to meet the qualifications. But can I become, uh, can I grow my net worth to 100 million? Yes. Can I start a business? Yes. Can I start a successful business? Yes. Why am I comfortable at saying I can do these things? Because of all the other things that I've done, Charlie, and how complicated they were and how I was able to achieve them. And how did I achieve them? A few simple concepts. And let's take the Ironman because that was the first time I did it in my life. Up until then, I accomplished a lot of great things, Charlie, but I'd accomplished them all in my head. I haven't, I hadn't accomplished them all in real life. You know, I, I've said it before. I was that fat guy sitting on the couch, eating Cheetos, watching people build businesses, watching people have successful careers, watching people do an Ironman with, you know, cheese crumbs down the front of my too tight shirt saying, I could do that. No, you couldn't do that. You were fat. You were out of shape sitting on a couch. You know, I wasn't quite uh, in a beanbag chair playing World of Warcraft in my mom's basement, but gosh darn, Charlie, I was pretty close to that. And, uh, you know, if you ask my two boys, what's the definition of failure? They'll tell you it's uh, being in their uh, 20s or 30s, living in our basement suite, eating Cheetos in a beanbag chair, playing video games. So that wasn't allowed. And at 30, I realized that. And I was, you know, it was, it was a friend who made a joke, but I realized, Hey, he's right. Like one, he's not a good friend Two, I'm not in the shape I want to be in and I'm not living the life I meant to live. And so I took the concept of Stephen Covey's begin with the end in mind. And the end was, I want to do an Ironman. First, I need to do a half Ironman. There's one that's going to be in Calgary, a city not far from where I live, you know, half a day away. And I'm going to sign up. It's a year from now and I'm going to get in shape to do it. And so I worked my way backwards and said, hey, what do I need to do today to be ready for that in a year? Well, I need to go buy a new pair of running shoes. I need to sign up for swim classes to get over my fear of the water. And I, I need to get my bike tuned up, right? Like, some people think, well, you got to go run 10K or you got to go run a marathon. No, like step one is I got to I got to get my fat butt off the couch and I got to start moving. I got to sign up for classes at the running room to learn their 10 and one, they call it, you know, jog 10 minutes, walk a minute, jog 10 minutes, walk a minute. And you're going to do it with 10 other people. So you're going to build that commitment. And I'm going to sign up for those swim classes. I'm going to join a, a bike, local bike group. So I go for a Saturday morning ride with them and I work my way up from the D group to the C group to the B group to the A group. So you start small. You start with the smallest step you possibly can. Same as we talked about with Twitter. You start as small as possible and you grow slowly over time. And so I knew that if I started that small, I could build on it and I can get better week by week. And over the course of six months, I could go from out of shape to, hey, I can do Olympic distance, which is 50% of the half Ironman and take a step back. I could do sprints, which were 50% of the Olympic Olympic distance. Okay. I did a sprint. I didn't die. Let's build on that. Let's sign up for some Olympics. Let's build on those. 
all right, a year later, I did the half Ironman and I was in better shape. A year after that, I was 40 pounds lighter and I did the Ironman. And that was the first time I learned, wait a second, like you can break something all the way back to a simple, small component and you can take simple steps and you could grow those steps into something that big. Why can't I do that with investing? Why can't I do that with my career? Why can't I do that with starting a business? And the answer is you can. I mean, that's why Stephen Covey wrote about it in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the habits is begin with the end in mind. And so you can do that to be successful at anything you want in life. It's why it's probably the most recommended book I have, Charlie, because that one habit significantly changed my life. Could you talk about the role of discipline in that journey? I know that if you build small, simple steps, you're not going to have to have that mental discipline every single time, but it still must play a role in that process. Yeah, dis- discipline has to play a role because it's the discipline leads to the consistency. The consistency leads to the compounding. The compounding leads to the success. Take a step back, right? People say, I want something, but then they don't do the work. Well, then you didn't really want it. If you want something, you will do the work. And that looks like discipline. All it is, is follow through on what you say you want. I say it to my son all the time. You told me you want to make the basketball team in four months or six months. You were told by your coach, you don't have enough endurance. You're not fit enough. The one thing that's going to make you more fit is running. So if you, if I don't see you running every day, then you're telling me you actually don't want to make the basketball team. If you want to make it, you'll be out running. If you want to make it, you'll be yeah, you don't like going to speed science that we have you signed up for because it's the hardest workout I've watched you do in your life. Every time you leave it, you're sweating like like a like it's disgusting. But that's what you need to do to make that team in six months. So do you want to make the team or don't you? And if you do, you will show up and you will do that work four or five days a week. That comes across to the person on the other side as discipline. All it comes across to, to me as is you know what you want and you're willing to do the work that it takes to achieve it, Charlie. And yeah, we can call it discipline or we can call it getting the shit done you need to do to get what you want in life. So I'd love to just shift one more time. I mean, I know we're, we're jumping all over the place, okay. but you're a man of many, many Let's talents. Do it. So as the CFO of this real estate company and as a financial independence expert, What are the top three financial habits every young person should learn to develop? And and you know what? Let's go back to the last one and then we'll jump to this one. So on the the last one, you know, I I call it begin with the end in mind, right? And and boil it down for young people into three simple steps. I've been saying these to my sons since they were eight or nine years old. And one of my sons, when he was doing the interview to get into the high school he wanted, uh, he repeated it. And, And it really made me happy to hear him uh, say that, which is because he was using it and it applies to this, making the basketball team, know what you want, understand what it takes, do the work day in, day out. It's how you achieve anything in life, Charlie, those three simple steps. So now let's talk about that for finance. Cause I always, I always like to have a th- simple three steps framework. Two is not enough. Four is too many. You always have to go with the law of three. So on, on finance, it's super easy. Earn more, spend less, invest as simply as possible. 
And then we'll add a fourth step, let compounding do its work over time. So if I'm you, Charlie, I am very focused on getting a job that allows me to, to earn as much as I can. Then what I'm doing is everything we've talked about on this show. I'm building my toolkit. I'm building rare skills. At the end of the day, you are paid for the value you bring to the person who's paying you. So unless you start your own business, and we, we could talk later about whether you want to do that, unless you start your own business, if you're working for someone else, you're paid for the value that you can create. So the more value you can bring, the more you're going to earn. So you're focused on increasing your earnings. You're also focused on living as reasonably as you possibly can. So you want to live a good life. You want to live a happy life, but you don't want to get caught up in the spending trap because when you get caught up in spending every raise you ever make, you're never farther ahead financially. In fact, you're, you're getting stuck in the rat race, right? And what's the worst part about being stuck in the rat race? You're still a rat. And so, so you want to get out of the rat race. And the, the way you do that is you, you think of concepts like never spend your raise. And Within reason, I'm not one of these people that's going to push for like severe frugality because I like spending a lot of money. I like going on nice vacations. I like nice cars. I like avocado toast. I watch Netflix. I don't do any of those things. But but watch the big expenses, right? Watch your vehicles, watch your housing, watch, watch your food. Be smart about what you spend. Target increasing what's called your savings rate, which is what percent of your salary goes into your savings and investments increase that number to as high as you possibly can target a minimum of 20% when you're young and increase it to 50% over time as you continue to earn more and more money. And so then what do you do with that for young people? I'd say, keep it simple, invest in ETFs. Like I think they, the, is it Vanguard's VTI is like the global stock market or U S stock market. Like you invest in that, you leave it in there for 40 years and it compounds an average of 8% per year for the last 80 years. So yeah, there's going to be down years. There's going to be up years. The longer the horizon, the more likely you're going to be in that 8% range. And if the rule of 72, Charlie, is that if you take 72 divided by your rate of return, that's how long it takes for your money to double. So if if you're growing at 8% per year, you'll double, double every nine years. So if you leave, if you put in $10,000, and you left it for 40 years, you'd get four doubles roughly, four and a half doubles. So that 10,000 becomes 20, becomes 40, becomes 80, becomes 160, becomes roughly $200,000 over that 40 years. That was your original 10,000. Now, what if you did 10,000 every year for those 40 years, right? You're, you're a multimillionaire. And so what is the maximum amount you can put away and never look at again? Just let it grow. It's really the simplest concept in the world, and we make it so hard. So how do you maintain a growth mindset and see the long-term benefits when you're faced with immediate challenges or setbacks, even not just financially, but in terms of life as well? This is the hard one. And it's hard because we're all in such different situations. You know, it's it's easy for me to say a lot of the things I say, because I always am willing to caveat 
like if you, if you see me visually, I don't know if you published a YouTube, Charlie, or if we're just podcast, but I'm a middle-aged cis heterosexual white guy with no physical, no apparent physical disabilities. So you're like, well, hey, you tick basically every box on the privileged chart. So it's easy for you to say how to do all those things. And, and that's reasonably fair. At the same time, if you rewind to that guy who was 32, who was sitting there eating the Cheetos playing World of Warcraft, like, I wasn't doing any of those things. And so what are those things that I changed in my behavior and what results did they lead to? It's everything you and I are talking about. And so how am I able to maintain that growth mindset and the other mindsets when I have setbacks, I'm able to maintain them because I've seen what they can do. I've seen the success. I've seen the results. And I know that if, if I lost that all tomorrow and I started over from zero, the toolkit that I've built would allow me to do it again. And why stop at that toolkit? Why not keep developing the toolkit? I mean, two years ago, I'd never done a podcast. Now people are telling me I'm good at podcasts. Two years ago, I'd never done a YouTube video. Shoot, six months ago, I'd never done a YouTube video. Three months ago. In two years, you're going to say, hey, you're pretty good on YouTube. And this is a concept that is important to learn for young people. I, I talk about this one a fair bit. I could... Like you have to embrace the suck long enough to be good. So you have to be willing to look bad and be a loser in quotation marks. Cause some people call you that long enough to get good at something. Like I said, I wasn't going to judge myself until I hit a hundred episodes on my podcast, Charlie. I hit a hundred and I did that last week at our hundredth episode. And I wasn't going to judge myself to until episode 100 because so many people quit by episode 14. They call that the podcast graveyard. So there's like thousands and thousands of podcasts that have less than 14 episodes. I was like, I'm not going to be one of those. I'm going for I'm going for at least 100. And by 100, it, it was scary, Charlie. I had three people who I respect and who have been on a lot of podcasts. And three of them told me, in the last week that it was one of the best conversations they'd had on a podcast. And that was like the week after my hundredth episode. And I said to myself, I won't judge myself until episode hundred. And then a week within a week of that episode, three big names said, this is one of the best conversations. Like just the, the magnitude and the serendipity of that happening. Like it, it gave me like chills to hear that three times in that week. I was like, this is nuts. Like for this to happen is mind blowing to me. So things like that. So you embrace the suck long enough to be good. You be good long enough and consistently enough to become great. And that that's like when you've done that for Ironman, when you've done that for, you know, the same thing led to an ultra marathon. When I did the ultra marathon, I ran every day for one and a half years. Like, yeah, I sucked at running at the start. By the end, I did a, a, a 50 mile, 80 kilometer run. Like you have to be willing to suck until you become good. You just be consistently good until you become great. And when your growth mindset has shown you that happens, when you hit a roadblock, that's all it is, is a roadblock. You figure out how to go through it 
around it or over it. So you mentioned that podcasting is your passion. How do you suggest that young people go about finding their passion and their purpose in life? Do you have any strategies that you've developed along your road? Yeah. And I always want to be careful because I've talked about this on a few podcasts. I, and most of the people I've talked to have said it as well is it's very dangerous to give the advice to young people to follow your passion because it, it often doesn't lead to success. And generally the people who tell you to follow your passion are already rich. You should follow your passion. And I'm already rich when I started doing that. The, um, so let's look at our passion. How do you find what you're passionate about? There's a there's a beautiful Japanese concept, although I've heard it's misattributed. But anyway, let's call it ikigai. And it's what's the intersection between what I'm good at, what the world needs, what I love to do, and what people will pay me for. I'm a big fan of that. I also talk about you know the tennis ball test. Like you've got a dog with a tennis ball, right? You throw the tennis ball, the dog goes and gets it, brings it back. You can leave the tennis ball there for a week, but as soon as you throw it, the dog goes and gets it, it comes back. What are those things in your life that are a tennis ball that you put them away and you come back to them and you're like, damn, like, I love this. Like when I did that run streak for a year and a half, I loved it. And what I loved the most, Charlie, was I loved trail running, like getting out in the forest and running on like a dirt ground. Like it reminded me of childhood, like getting out in the forest, getting dirty, looking out for the tree roots. Like it was just fun. It brought back that sense of fun, that sense of love. So for me, like I know at some point I got to get back to trail running. Like I got to get, I got to get situated near a trail where I can run every day. Like I just love it. So that, that's, that's something that's a tennis ball for me. Where are those areas where you lose time? So you're still young. Like where are those times where your mom and dad yell up the stairs? Like, Hey, Charlie, like it's dinner. We called you six times. And you're like, Oh, Oh, sorry. I was. Well, you were what? You were podcasting? You were reading a book? Like, what were you doing, Charlie, when that happened? As of recently, as of this summer, I started picking up reading, and I, I've realized the value of that, and that, that would be my answer, because sometimes I get lost in that, and like you said, it's like the tennis ball. I, I read, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is good. It's good for me, and I actually enjoy it, and then I put my book away, and then I forget about it for like a month, and then now I'm starting to kind of get in a routine and have that be consistent, but for sure. And podcasting as well. I really enjoy that. And, and so when you look at that reading, for a lot of your listeners, there's a concept you may have heard of, Charlie, they may not have is read what you love until you love to read. And so just keep reading whatever you love that you get lost in. And eventually you'll just love reading. And then it's easier to read business books. It's easier to read biographies because you just love reading. So, so just continue to foster that. And, and so I just throw things like that at people like, and, and then you're young enough. Like if you have siblings, if, if, if mom and dad are both still, still in your life, you say to them, Hey, what do you think when you think of me and you think of purpose and you think of what, what I'm going to be doing for the next 20 years, what do you see light me up? When do you see my eyes like happy? When do you see me at my best? And what am I doing when you see that? And just learn from the people around you because they know what you're passionate about. They know when you're at the kitchen table having a conversation and you just light up. And that's what you want to find. You want to find those things. So as a father, what important life lessons do you hope to instill in your children? Always funny, Charlie. Uh, that's a it's always big funny question. Because I'm sorry. No, it's funny because your kids don't listen to you. 
right? So, <laughs> so you have me on this show asking me all these questions. Like if I give him these same answers, he's like, oh, go pencil, old man. The, but then his, you know, he's in a basketball academy and like they'll bring in a guy who is a mental coach for uh, NBA athletes and the guy will be like, oh, here's the like three things you should do. Know what you want, understand what it takes, do the work. And he'll be like, oh, that's genius. <laughs> and then I'll be like, oh, what'd you learn today? And he'll tell me and then he'll look at me sheepishly because it's like, it's the same thing I told him. So uh, it's fun. Like I want to teach them everything we're talking about. I want to teach them to know what they want to understand what they take. And so my son broke that down into three simple words, which I loved because it means he's paying attention. Vision, plan, work, or vision, plan, do it. So you know what you want, you understand what it takes, you do the work. So I want them to really, really embody that. And then I want them to understand the importance of, like you said, discipline and the discipline being represented by the consistency of doing the work. And then their realization that that consistency compounds. And by compounding, what we mean is it goes slow until it goes fast. So, so when, when you're doing your bench press and the little guy started off with, you know, like 10 pound plates on either side. Now he's, now he's doing, now he's doing 45, like full plates on either side and he's doing sets of 10 and now he now he can probably bench press 200 pounds or more and he can push a sled with 500 plus pounds on it and he's 15 years old and it's like well what do you think you're going to be doing when you're in like you're going into grade 10 what are you going to be pushing when you're going into grade 12 like i do not want to be on the opposite side of you in a football game like i don't i already don't he's 15 years old i saw him running the other day and i thought i didn't realize it was my son I thought that kid on that field looks scary. And I, I tried to look at around the field to find my son, Charlie. So I could be like, after practice, I could be like, Hey, Cade, like who was that scary looking dude? And then I was like, I can't find my, I was like, Holy shit. That is my son. I find my son scary already. So like, I want to teach him that he can be, he can be that if he does the work and, and it's all those things. It's the compounding. It's the, I talk, I talk about exponential thinking over linear thinking and linear thinking is like for you, let's say you have 500 people listen, download each podcast and you're like, Oh, okay. So if I keep going by next year, that'll be like 600, but it's like 500, 500, 500, 2000, 4,000, 10,000. And so it doesn't go linearly. It goes exponentially at some point, but it does that when you're consistent and it starts to compound. And that teaches you to then start to think in decades, not in days. So don't think about what you can do every day. Think about if I do this every day and I'm consistent and it starts to compound and then it goes exponential, where will I be 10 years from now? That's what I want young people to be thinking about. I want them to be building their brand. I want them to be building rare skills. I want them to be thinking where they want to be when they're 30 and starting it like it doesn't have to be a complex 20 year plan. It can just be generally, where do I want to be when I'm 30? And let me break that down to what does that look like five years from now? What does that look like one year from now? And then break it all the way down to what are the habits that I need to do every single day to become the person I want to be? And then you build that person. So I wanted to close with two final questions. Okay. The first one being what rec book recommendations or resources would you recommend to a young person or really just anyone 
that have been influential in your life? Yeah, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, for sure. It's it's one of the best books ever written. And I haven't read it, but I uh, have heard from enough people that Atomic Habits would probably make the list. And I, I think that if you do Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you can get enough of Atomic Habits that you probably don't even need to read Atomic Habits because begin with the end in mind at the end of the day. That simple one habit is like habits. Like you probably get enough of what James writes in simply that one of seven habits he teaches you. So I, I'd recommend those two books. And I'd probably, maybe if people are young, it might be too much, but Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is pretty kick-ass. Like what a, what a book for Hell stoicism. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, then Resilience by Eric Greitens. He himself has gotten a little crazy, but that book is so well, it's just such a work of art. Oh, and um, uh, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by Dr. Burns. It really deals with what I talked earlier about your 60,000 thoughts a day and how to shut off the negative ones. So, okay, hugely powerful. Perfect. And finally, what would be your ultimate piece of advice for young individuals striving for success and personal growth in life? And so the way I like to phrase this or frame this is you have a billboard, billions of people are going to see it, right? What would be yeah, your yeah. one piece of advice that you put on it? The Tim Ferriss question. I like it. The start. That's it. And why it start is so many people wait for the perfect moment, wait until they're ready, wait until the stars align. It's all bullshit. Start. Whatever it is, start. Like You're only going to succeed if you do it. And so like, I'm, I'm, think about when I started my social media journey, 43 years old. And now we have over 400,000 followers. Within a year, I think we'll be at a million. I started at 43. Like if you're 17, there's nothing holding you back. Start. Whatever you want to be good at, start. Just do it. Like Nike was pretty good with that one. Apparently they didn't even <laughs> want that when they uh, when the person gave them that. They're like, oh, sounds okay. But, really? That's uh, it. Yeah, yeah. That's the word on the street. But uh, yeah, start. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your advice and your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate this.